Hello, welcome to Charity Chats. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to Greg Warner, Chief Exec and Founder of Market Smart. We've been following Greg's work for some time, his blog especially, and when he came out with an article, Are You a Dictatorial Boss or a Dynamic Non-Profit Leader? A very compelling article. Uh, we really enjoyed it and we really wanted to get him on the show. He agreed and we, uh, we spoke to him a few weeks ago on uh, Skype. Uh, it was a fairly good connection. Uh, he's over in the States, we're in the UK, and uh, it came across pretty well. A little bit of distortion, but please forgive us that. It was a fascinating interview. We really appreciated Greg doing it. And I think there are lots of takeaways that I've already started employing and thinking about in my day-to-day, and I'm sure that you will too. So without further ado, here is Greg Warner talking about dictatorial bosses, dynamic non-profit leaders, and a whole vast array of other things. Really interesting stuff. Here we go. Greg Warner. Hello, Greg. Thank you for joining Charity Chat today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And Greg, you're, um, am I right, you're, found, you're the founder and you, is it the chief exec of Market Smart? Is that right? That's right. <laughs> and I've been following your work for a little while and I was really, um, I suppose, moved is the word I would say, uh, by um, a blog post that you did back in June. Um, are you a dictator? dictatorial boss or a dynamic non-profit leader I suppose it moved me and kind of worried me a little bit too because I kind of saw some of my uh, my kind of behaviors in both camps so uh, it also kind of inspired me and I thought when I read that I thought our, our listeners are really going to um, appreciate um, hearing a bit more about this maybe if you wouldn't mind starting kind of talking about a little bit about yourself and about market smart and what it is that you do your expertise Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, I'm actually like a uh, advertising guy, I guess you would say, marketing guy. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be in the marketing and advertising business. Wanted to have my own little agency. I I did start my own agency after spending decades in in the uh, direct response universe, and we did uh, everything. Well, honestly, if customers said, you know, can you do it? We said we can, and I did everything from radio to TV to direct mail, social media, pay-per-click, SEO, website design, you know, we, we did everything. And the 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 company was growing, but it, sometimes everything you think you want out of life isn't actually everything you need. Mm-hmm. So when I uh, got the company finally out of sort of the survival mode and into uh, the growth mode, uh, I stumbled upon the fact that one of my charities was pummeling the crap out of me with uh, <laughs> with direct response marketing, which is kind of generally the way that it's done, especially here in the States. I know things have changed in the UK, but uh, it, it's not nice. It's not fun for the donors. It's not fair. I didn't opt in for that kind of treatment, but they've got a boss that's telling them, you know, pound, 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 get those donations. And anyway, it ticked me off. And I helped, I, I reached out to them. Uh, the short story is they let me help them. And uh, we, we found a way to generate highly qualified leads for major gifts and legacy giving. 
Um, and, and it was all a permission-based opt-in inbound marketing kind of style that I was doing for the private sector to help uh, sales teams generate highly qualified leads, sales-ready leads is what we would call them. And, uh, and then we started getting referrals and also the volume of leads. It, it's interesting because we ended up generating way more leads than these fundraising teams could handle. And uh, everything that we did that was good actually turned into a negative because they ended up getting too many leads. Right. So we built the dashboard and some other technologies to help refine that. And we also built some automated, well, there's lots of other bells and whistles, but to keep it short, some automated marketing out-of-box turnkey systems so that uh, those leads could be cultivated properly until such time that the donors were ready for a call or a visit. So we really are a lead generation, lead qualification, prioritization, and cultivation company. We get sales ready, or let's call them um, engagement ready leads uh, that have high capacity and can make uh, really impactful gifts or legacy donations. Wow. For We get that all set and teed up for fundraisers. I see. Okay. So, so this is, as you said, this is your business. Uh, it's growing. Uh, you've developed it from scratch. You're the leader of this organization. You're a leader in your own right. <laughs> yeah. And so what was it that moved you to write this uh, blog post uh, about bosses versus leaders and what good leadership was? What What was it that, uh, that moved you to do that? Well, um, firstly, I, I, I spent a couple decades being an employee. So I know what it feels like to be treated poorly by leadership and management in organizations, especially I was in the private sector. Uh, secondly, I have written quite often about the uh, absence of leadership in the nonprofit sector, but any, in, in any sector. There's, there's a lot of bosses but there aren't really a lot of leaders, and there's a big difference between being a boss and being a leader. And it's very counterintuitive to understand uh, being a leader is very counterintuitive. So most people don't ever learn how to do it. They don't have mentors. They don't read the books. They don't do anything about it. They just get the position, and then they go and uh, start pounding on people and treating people poorly. And then they wonder why they have such high turnover, especially in the nonprofit sector. It's terrible amount of turnover, which only hurts the cause, and it creates a lot of waste for the donors because the donors are paying for that, and when you have high turnover, it costs the organization a lot of money. So I thought, well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk about uh, the the absence of leadership or the poor leadership, maybe I'll write a post finally about it. And actually, I got a lot of a lot of um, good feedback on it, so maybe I'll I'll start writing about it more. a lot of core components to leadership and frankly if you read one two or ten books on it you're going to find that there's overlap uh, some people will give you different uh, way of describing how to become a leader but in the end there's only there's really commonalities that 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 exist and uh, it takes practice it takes a lot of practice before they become habits now and by the way before I go too far on this 
Um, I want to mention that you can look my company up on uh, Glassdoor. Are you familiar with Glassdoor? Do yeah. they have that in the UK? I was going to ask you about this. Uh, it, it, it's really interesting. I think I hadn't heard of it before, but I had seen it, I think, mentioned on one of your blogs. And uh, it struck me as a fantastic idea because we, we talk a lot here um, on Charity Chat about transparency. And a lot of the people we've interviewed have talked about the need for more transparency within the nonprofit charity sector. And it strikes me that this um, website uh, is an opportunity for charities to do just that, show transparency. Okay, so here, at least in the States, there's a, there's a website called glassdoor.com, all one word, G-L-A-S-S-D-O-O-R.com. And if you search Market Smart, and we're in the state of Maryland here in the States, um, in case you can't find it right away, you'd find it under Market Smart Maryland. And uh, there, what happens is, Former employees, mostly former, there are some current employees, will go online and they'll basically talk about me <laughs> behind my back <laughs> so that anybody who's considering working here can read what former employees said and how they felt about their experience working here. Now, I think there's like 21 uh, people who took the time to score me and write about me. There is one negative review. Of course, it was a nefarious character who I had to remove. Um, and she said some not so nice things, but, you know, uh, and, and I wrote a rebuttal, but I didn't get into the details of, of what she did. Uh, uh, but, but you know, there's always going to be one of those. But I guess the reason why I'm pointing it out is because uh, for credibility's sake, people listening to this podcast might wonder, you know, who is this guy and do I really want to believe what he says? Yeah. So I'm saying, look, don't take my word for it. Go ahead and check me out on Glassdoor and, uh, and that way you can see what other people say about me. It's a, a big risk to take, though, isn't it? Going on the, the likes of Glassdoor and opening yourself up for um, for really constructive feedback on a public forum where anyone can see it and where future recruits can can see it before they um, they uh, apply to uh, to work with you but I guess it, you know I saw the um, I saw your listing on there and I looked at some of the reviews prior to this conversation and I did see that negative review but for me the takeaway was how you handled it because I saw that you know you were very open um, you met the criticisms um, head on, and I actually came away feeling um, pretty excited about talking with you, to be honest, Greg. So I think for me, this experience of, of Glassdoor has been quite a positive one, um, and something I'll probably look into um, given, the, given the opportunity. Yeah, well, that's another thing about leadership is that when you get to you get a, either appointed or anointed or or told that you're now the leader, or maybe you decide that you're you're it's your business, so you're the leader, right? Uh, that doesn't give you the right to pretend that you're some kind of untouchable. Yeah, I mean, you're still human, and you better behave that way, otherwise people won't treat you like you're a human. You see, mm -hmm. your staff, your, the people that you want to follow you are not going to follow you, and they're not going to, in fact, you don't even want them to follow you. You want to wanna be, uh, wanna, uh, jump in front of a bus for right. you. Okay, they're not going to do that unless you're open, honest, and and candid, and let them critique you so that you can improve just as much as you're likely to critique them. 
Mm, it's, it's a two-way two street. I'm not perfect, so I want to hear about it. And when I mess up, I'm gonna. You have to be very. Um, uh, you have to. You have to be able to evaluate yourself. You have to be able to be ready for that. You have to be mature. Mm. You know. So so there's a lot of uh, foundational elements that leaders need to have. If they're insecure, then of course they're gonna try and take credit for everything. Yeah. If they're very secure, they're going to try to put all the credit on their staff. You never see the greatest athletes in the world stand up after they win Wimbledon or something mm-hmm. and say, you know what, I'm awesome, I did it all by myself, it wasn't anybody else that helped me, and now I have a trophy, give me applause. <laughs> no, 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 what they do is they stand up and they say, well, it was really, you know, I'm out here, and yeah, you see me, but it was really a team effort. Yeah. I mean, my wife, my husband, my, 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 my friends, my coach, you know, and my parents, and, and, you know, sometimes they praise the Lord. That's, that, that's what leaders do. Sure. It's it's everywhere, by the way. You can see it everywhere. The U.S. women just won won the World Cup. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I gotta tell you, they did some things that were not right from a leadership perspective on their path. They 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 just trounced. I think it was Taiwan or something Thailand. by thirteen zero, yeah. and they. Yeah. They were gloating, and, and that wasn't showing leadership. Mm-hmm. However, so, so, you know, they have some things to learn. But at the end, they talked about how each of them has the passion, mm-hmm. and, and they stuck together, and they knew that they were in it to get, you know, there were some good virtues that, that you, so what I'm trying to say is there is virtues to be seen everywhere, even though the media and the news will try and bring everybody down. That's the way the news works these days. You have to sift through it and look for the real gems. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, they're everywhere. I was intrigued about this notion that you talk about of fear and how that is is a big problem when it comes to uh, places of work, whether that's charity, non-profits, or any, any business. This issue of fear, and I know you know from my experience seeing it in the non-profit, it's it's fear around not hitting targets, it's fear around how you're perceived by the people you're talking to, the supporters, um, and it, it struck me as very interesting that the idea is to, to get rid of fear, um, and that that can lead to really positive results. Uh, in terms of leadership, can you tell us a little bit more about that, Greg? Yeah, so, um, look, uh, and I'm looking through my notes because I was just teaching this to one of my staff. Anyway, I'll pull it up in a minute. Is that the, uh, you have to understand that any time that there's turbulence in a relationship, especially in a business setting, just about every single time, if you scratch beneath the surface and dig a little, everything is motivated by some kind of fear. So that as a leader or a manager or whatever, even if you're the employee, you know, you could be a leader as the employee, as the, you know, it's not a one-way street, by the way, but we could talk about that. Let me separate that. Everything is, is generally comes down to fear. So the best question that you can ever ask one of your team is, especially when you're having, finding turbulence, is what are you afraid of? What is the outcome that concerns you? What are you worried about, right? Same question, really, three different ways. But it's always, instead, teams, they don't do that. 
right? They don't want to dig beneath the surface. Uh, maybe they'll have a discussion about something, and then somebody will, will become an authoritarian or a dictator and say, okay, I heard all sides. This is the way we're going to do it. Well, that's, that really doesn't solve the problem, and it actually creates a, a, a bigger problem that you're only going to encounter more and more, and it's going to grow bigger and bigger, and then the staff are going to uh, grow resentful, and they're going to hold uh, what I call stamps in their stamp books. And then eventually, when there's enough stamps in those stamp books, they're just going to turn them in and say, you know what, screw you, I'm going to find another job because you didn't really listen to me. And, and, and that's real. So you have to ask people, what are you really afraid of? What worries you? What concerns you about this or this direction that we're going in? And if you have trust, which, by the way, is the foundation of everything, and let me come back to that in just a second, but if you've gained trust, they'll tell you what they're afraid of. And I'd say probably about 80% of the time when I ask that question, what are you afraid of, what are you concerned about, when they tell me what they're afraid of, I'm like, son of a gun, I never would have thought of that. I never would have realized that, and you just, me asking you that question, but you having faith in me to listen, you just told me something I never, I never would have seen that coming, and then three months from now, we would have been screwed, mm. so I'm really thankful that I asked that question, but more so that you felt comfortable in telling me what you were afraid of. So let me get back to, and I know I'm going on a little diatribe here, but it's, it's about building trust first. So nothing, nothing, nothing happens if you don't have trust. And leader, that's the foundation of all leadership. So if you don't have trust, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get the feedback. You're not going to get people to certainly follow you or jump in front of that bus for you. You have to have trust. So how do you gain trust? It's all from, uh, and this is what I was talking about, service, support, security, yeah. safety, and empathy. Right. Right. So I was talking to one of my staff, and I said, you know, who's learning how to become a leader. And I said to her, I said, your job as a leader is not to tell people what to do. That's, that's what the media get wrong. That's what the news and the movies and all this kind of stuff. And you're taught because maybe your parents, when you were growing up, just told you what to do. So you think your, your job as a leader is to be paternal or dictatorial, and that's not it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. What, what works is if you see yourself in support, at, well, in service to others, which means that you're always asking how you can support them, how you can help them, and uh, how you can help them find safety and security in what they're doing in service to the company, which also involves empathy. You've got to listen. You've got to really listen. Not sitting there, now keeping your mouth shut while someone else is talking so that you're waiting for your time to tell them what to do, that's not listening. <laughs> You've got to really listen and try and gain empathy. Now, by the way, all this that I'm talking to you about doesn't work for everybody on your team. It doesn't work for everybody. We at Market Smart, we hire people based on three things, and it's not, not whether they have a Harvard education or, or you know, past performance at another company or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's all three things, very simple. It's do they have passion for our mission, do they have character, which is hard to discern early on, and do they, uh, are they a coachable individual? Okay? Passion, character, and coachability, three very simple things. If we find those people and they prove themselves to be like that, then I can, I can lead them anywhere. 
<laughs> if they don't have that and they bring along a lot of baggage, they have poor character, they do nefarious things, they don't respond to emails, they lie, they stab other people in the back, talk about them, you know, and, and, and try and take credit for things, or they just don't care about the mission of the company. If you have that on your team, you can't do much with them. I'm sorry, but the foundation is broken, so you got to get rid of them, <laughs> period. Those three qualities, they strike me as leadership material qualities in of themselves. Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking to manage new leaders and recruit new leaders? That's exactly it, because you think I want to work 17 hours a day, seven days a week? No! That's stupid. I want other people to want to work 17 hours a day for the mission because they're passionate about it, because they want to do a good job, because they have character, and because they are coachable, meaning they want to learn and they want to grow, so they will take your coaching to become better. This is the other thing about, about people is that uh, people don't want jobs. Nobody wants a job and nobody wants to go to work. There are some people who just want a job, a J-O-B. Okay, right. there are some people, they want a job, they, they do their eight hours or seven hours, and then they go to the pub or whatever they do, right? We know those kind of people, okay? Fine. But if you're in a, a thinking person's game, you know, like this is a, we're in a software and services company and doing marketing, these people got to be smart, they got to be thinking, it's not like they're standing next to, not to sound, uh, um, uh, I, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but I worked at a printing company for a long time, and there was a guy named Buster, and Buster st stood next to a, a folding machine for 27 years. Mm -hmm. You know, Buster didn't want to grow and progress. He wanted to have a job so he could drink a six-pack when he got home. Right. Fine. I got no problem with that. But in my company, people want to, um, they want to grow. They want to feel that they're growing. They want to see that there's a pathway for growth. And that means that they have to have coachability. Because you can't grow if you're not willing to learn and take coaching from somebody else. This all makes sense want to build a team of very passionate, enthusiastic, autonomous uh, candidates and, and people. Um, but what about the work-life balance? How does that feature in this equation for success uh, when it comes to staff? That's a great question. So uh, when I say that people don't want a job and people don't want to go to work, uh, you have, and what we say at Market Smart, and it's in our employee handbook, and I say we, it's interesting because I wrote it. I wrote it. But you notice I just, by default, I say we, yeah. right? Because yeah. we all accept it. And, uh, and we're all part of it. And maybe somebody tweaked it. I don't remember. I, but I'll just say we. So that's an example of leadership, right? Now, but, but what we say is that we don't go to work. Nobody works here. It's even on my website on the careers page, I think. <laughs> we, we say nobody, nobody works here. Yeah. You know what we do here? We make progress. So we, 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 when somebody says to their kid, you know, I'm going off to Market Smart, they say, oh, you're going to work? And I hope they look at their kid and say, no, 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 no. I don't work. I make progress every day. Right. That's a difference, right? So you want to find people who want to make progress. Those are people who want to grow. Those are, so, by the way, everything goes back to hiring. 
Like, there's not that much you could do if you have the wrong people. You're really kind of screwed. So, uh, you have the leadership starts, frankly, with finding the right people and get ridding, ri- getting rid of the wrong people. And if if you think that you're going to turn a pile of junk into uh, a, you know a, a pristine uh, uh, you know sculpture. You, you're kind of not. You'll get you'll get maybe twenty percent of them. You'll be able to, to to change, but the rest you're just gonna have to clean house. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If they don't have passion, they don't have character. And by the way, uh, and coachability, it, I, it's funny because I I was talking to a friend about about this who's the CEO of a of another company, and he's like, yeah, but I'm in like the accounting business. Like you're talking about marketing for charities and all, so you got it baked in. I'm like, well, first of all, that's by design. But second of all, you know, you can make it purposeful. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no not. It's not only charities that have great missions. You know, look at um, look at look at Apple. When Steve Jobs was there, there was a mission, man. It was to make everyday computing put it in the hands of of the ordinary person, mm-hmm. right? Because way back then. To do computing, you needed a computer that was the size of your office or your desk, and it was hot and all that, right? So they were on a mission. And you could say, well, but it's just computers and hardware. No. Any mission can have purpose, and it's up to the leader to figure that out and turn it into an inspirational, um, um, you know, to something that people would be inspired by. That's your job, damn it. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like you've, you, you're offering this um, work-life balance at, at Market Smart, and I know that uh, you have talked, I think, on the Glassdoor website about the fact that actually you're, you're giving, um, offering your staff more time, more holiday, uh, so they have that time with their friends, families to uh, to enjoy and, and to kind of maintain that passion and enthusiasm for uh, for the work that you do. Well, we have unlimited. It's unlimited. Take as much as you want. But why is that, right? Because we know people have character. So if they feel that they're taking advantage or if their team thinks they're taking advantage, then they're going to end up having a talking to. We're going to be open and honest about it, and we're going to talk to them. That's the other thing is too many organizations don't actually talk to one another. People don't talk because everybody's afraid, right? It's all so political. Well, you got to get that out of there. You got to be able to have uh, constructive dialogue and productive conflict with one another. This is a team, man. Look at the again the women's soccer. You think they won because they weren't shouting on the field that I hey you got to pass me the ball when I'm open. If they're not getting the ball when they're open, they're gonna go yell at their teammate and say, "Come on, what are you doing?" And they're gonna work it out, right? But we don't do that in business because everybody's trying to pussyfoot around each other, tiptoe around. I don't want to upset anybody. I mean, and let me get back to this work-life balance thing. I don't know who invented that term, but it's really full of shit. Oh, am I? Can I curse on this? Yeah, that's fine. That's a bunch of bullshit. This work-life balance. What are you talking about? What do you? Would you start and you stop it like a stopwatch? Okay, now I'm done with work. Now I'm gonna be my life. Your work is your life. It's part of your life. Yeah. This is stupid. And anybody who thinks that, well, I'm going to have work-life balance, well, then, you know, you're not you're not right for this company. I'll tell you that. 
because I hope that you're thinking about this company sometimes when you're out with your family. And I also hope you damn well hope you're thinking about your family when you're here. And if they call and they need you, you better run. Get out of my office and go take care of your family. But there's no hard line. Whoever came up with that? Who is the guy who came or gal? Come on, show me him. It's stupid. <laughs> it's not realistic. It's really, it's dumb. Okay, Greg, so you've talked about leadership, um, and you, you said before that uh, leadership begins um, at recruitment, so uh, it sounds like you don't necessarily do things by the book with recruitment. Can you talk a little bit about the unorthodox uh, principles that you employ with recruitment and how that uh, helps set things up? So th- there's a lot of things we do that are unorthodox, and, and, and I, I totally ripped up the playbook for how to hire people uh, and, and just reinvented it and did it the way I thought that we should do it. So number one, and look, I didn't know we were going to be talking about this, so I'm kind of doing this off the top of my head. Uh, it's not, not like I've ever written a book on this. I'm just you know trying to recount how, how we do it. So number one is you have to have unbelievable level of transparency. Okay, so the, the biggest problem that we have with hiring is that companies try to pretend that they're something they're not, or they try to pretend that the position and the job is something that it isn't. And it's all because they want to hoodwink somebody so that they can hire them and get on with the business, right? They want to just move on. I need to hire someone. Let's tell them whatever they want to hear and get them in here. Well, what do you think that's going to do long term when they finally figure it out? It usually only takes about two weeks before somebody figures out that the whole thing is a bunch of crap and then they're stuck, right? Yeah. So, But they're going to stay in that job for two years, let's suppose, on average, right? So there you go. You got 108 weeks that they stay with you and they've already decided after the first two that it was a bad fit and they made a mistake. Now you're screwed, all of you. And now they've got resentment. They've got all kinds of reasons to be angry and collect stamps and all this kind of stuff. It's terrible. So you got to be completely transparent, open, and honest about what it is that they're going to be doing. You have to tell them, show them, have them ask people, invite them to come in and sit next to somebody who's doing it for half a day, ask them to be on phone calls, listen in. You need to make sure that they understand exactly what it is they're going to do day to day and what they're going to be responsible for achieving and how they're going to make progress in their position. Nobody ever does that. They talk and talk and talk and talk and talk on these interviews and talk to several people and all this kind of stuff. And nobody knows. And then they get in there like, hold on, I didn't know I was going to be doing this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bad, bad recipe. That's number one. Number two is, uh, and this is out of order probably, but when, uh, you, when that person feels like, and you should have an open dialogue with them, when they feel like, uh, okay, we're moving closer and, and, and we think we want you to work for us and you think you want to work for us, that's the time where you have to take all the pressure off and say, okay, we're in the final stretch right now. So I want you to do two things. Number one is I want you to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and a pen. Do it old school and go into a quiet place, library, maybe a coffee shop, headphones on. And you need to think about your life and what you want every day and in the next couple of years. You need to think about what you want. Do you need a window 
do you need a window? <laughs> Would you prefer to have a window? Because if you need a window and we don't have a window, that's minus one. You know, make a list exactly what you want, where you want to be, who you want to be, what you want to do. And you need to gain clarity on that. After that, you got to come back in here and you got to poke and prod and ask us the hard questions to make sure that there's alignment with what you want. Right. Nobody ever does any of this. What happens with this is, number one, the, the person you're hiring has to understand what they want. This is how you get passion. I mean, me as a leader, I get passion because they've thoroughly thought about what position they want, what they want to be doing, how they want to be doing it, where they want to sit, and so on. What kind of perks they need, what kind of days off they need. There's a fit. They become passionate about the company, not just because of the mission, but because it's a damn good fit for what they want to be and how they want to grow in their life. They only live once. They don't want to spend three years doing it the wrong way. Let's help them, in fact, gain clarity on their own faster than they would had they not met me or met our staff so that we can determine if there's a fit. And then they need to interview us. And we need to be interviewed so that they can determine if there truly is a fit for their life story, how they, how we fit in their life story, which is another, another point I'm rambling off on, on how we do it, is that we recognize and we even tell them, like, look, the likelihood that you're going to uh, retire here or die at your desk here with a gold watch after 50 years uh, as a thank you from me is very unlikely. People change jobs way too often. This is a stepping stone for your next job in your career as you're making progress in your life. So let's be real about that and let's look at it and think about what is this, what time in your life is this, is there a fit? Interview us to see if we can actually provide that for you. Because remember, this is the, the thing about interviews, it's all about what can you do for the company, what can you do for us, what are your skills, all this kind of stuff. Well. The truth is, is that employees don't give a crap about that, a little bit, but not very much. What they're really thinking is, what can this company do for me? What can that boss do for me? How much are they going to pay for me? What kind of skills am I going to gain? What kind of friends? What's the commute like? How much time will I have with my family? So if, if you're a leader, you recognize, and that's why I wrote empathy, you know, you recognize that people are human beings and that's what they're looking for as they make progress in their life. And we've got to be real about that and, and seek out ways to provide it to them. And if there's a mismatch, don't come on board. So our listeners have heard what you've said and um, they're probably as inspired as I am about a lot of the things that you've said. Uh, where can they go to find out more information about you, about the work that you do, and about the things you've been talking about on this podcast, leadership, recruitment, and all these other things? Okay, so our main website is at i, the letter i, marketsmart.com. You can learn all about us. There's tons of free content, especially about fundraising and, and things like that on there. There's my blog, and, and if you're a fundraising consultant, there's there's a section there for to help fundraising consultants grow their businesses. But if they want something really uh, helpful for free, I have this tool 
called the Fundraising Report Card, which I built for free. It's a metrics and analytics in the tech sector. We call it a BI tool, a business information tool. And it helps charities, big and small, really see and visualize their data and what all the all the metrics that they need for the next board meeting. They probably have quarterly board meetings. Most of them do, and that way they they can uh, they just upload their data or they sync it if if one of their databases is is on our list and they uh, they just sync it and in a couple seconds it sucks in all the data and turns it into like a whole bunch of different charts. They're very interactive. You can download them and put them into a presentation or you can share the interactive link so that a board member maybe that you just want them to see one chart and hover over it and see all the cool things, but. Uh, uh, that's free. It's at, at fundraisingreportcard.com. And uh, yeah, happy to give it away. It's my look, I don't have that much money to be a massive philanthropist right now because I'm building this company. So uh, the way I get my fix out of being a philanthropic is by building and inventing tools that I like to give away to the sector for free. Greg Warner, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Really appreciate it. It's been lovely talking to you. It's uh, really nice to talk to you. I love your accent. (laughs) (laughs) Big thank you there to Greg Warner from Market Smart. I really appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for contributing and uh, really hope to speak to you again in the future. Uh, I know you've covered a lot of stuff in your blogs. We'll uh, we'll be talking to Greg hopefully about lots of other subjects and topics relating to uh, to that blog and the work that he's doing. So uh, hope you enjoyed that, dear listener. We uh, we really are grateful for you listening, and uh, we'd love to hear your views on it. I know that there'll be uh, different viewpoints on some of the things we talked about with Greg, but uh, it's uh, very much an open forum. So do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you and find uh, different opinions. Uh, on these different things so uh, yeah hopefully you found that interesting regardless whether you agree with some of the things or not and uh, I think that there was a lot of uh, value in what Greg was saying and a lot of this this sense of being unorthodox and not necessarily going by the rule book and really picking apart what it is that uh, we're looking for in terms of our colleagues and the people that we're working with and ourselves what we're looking for too and, and how do we really maintain authentic passion and enthusiasm for our cause. Um, So that was very interesting indeed. And we'll be uh, putting the links to some of the uh, blog posts that Greg was referring to uh, and the free resources that he provides as well. We'll put that all on our website, charitychat.org.uk. So do have a look there or indeed on the uh, Market Smart website, which we'll have links to on our website too. So, uh, yeah, just left for me to thank you, dear listener, for listening. Please do get in touch with us. We are a uh, group of volunteers, and we have increasing numbers of people getting in touch with us, which is great, uh, offering show ideas, uh, guest speakers, uh, contributors, people that we can talk to, people that are interested in talking to us and talking to you, our audience. Uh, We've gone past uh, 14,000 listens now, and we're really grateful for the the enthusiasm that our community of listeners has for the work that we're doing. It really keeps us going, and uh, and thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, do get in touch with us. All of our contact information is on uh, charitychat.org.uk. We've also got social media channels too. 
contact us through those. And just left for me to thank our sponsors, our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring the podcast, Kit Magda Axmit, beautiful website design. Check it out, charitychat.org.uk. RR Yard Photography for the pro bono photographs they provided for us. And of course, Forrester Fools, who are playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from us. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.